0: All right, please have a seat. Uh, super excited about the sermon series we're in uh super excited to continue uh uh if you're if you're just here today I just want to kind of let you know that uh we're doing a, a Old Testament survey and the way we're approaching that is we're looking at what we believe to be the top 12 characters um and that's a that's a biased opinion so uh there's just a litany of characters in the scriptures that are that that can teach us so much about who God is and and who we are as humanity and through their their faults and their Successes um, we we glean so much. And so we're we're going to go through a character study uh, and this is going to be chronological through the Old Testament so that we as a byproduct do an Old Testament survey. So each week I'm encouraging you to read passages during the week so that you're you're kind of building the survey as we go through these characters. Last week we looked at Adam and uh, we looked at the fall, and so that gets us that winds us down at about chapter three, and then encourage you to read through chapter eleven, which is where we pick up today uh, in talking about Father Abraham. And so, uh, super excited to talk about the father of faith, the very uh, one that God built a nation through, um, and and now we too, because we're grafted into the vine. We're grafted into the Jewish nation. We too can call Abraham our father of faith. And, uh, and so we are, we are a, um, we're, a, we're an expression of God's faithfulness. The church is. It's, it's a, it's a byproduct of God's prophetic, um, expression that He made a promise to Abraham and we're a part of the realization of that promise. That happened thousands upon thousands of years ago. And we get the privilege of seeing that here in the scriptures today. So join me as, uh, as we, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, hopefully you have your bibles and your notes are ready to write because there's a lot to cover this is probably one of the most comprehensive characters in all of scripture next to jesus uh, it's uh, incredibly foundational to our faith and so there's a lot to glean and uh, i'm going to do my best to to journey through this and you'll have to hold on and get ready and be ready to navigate through the scriptures we're going to do it chronologically so it should be easy enough uh, if you don't have your bible with you we encourage you to grab one from the seatbacks uh, under each of the chairs there's Bibles there available for you, uh, and it will be on the screen okay so we pick up in chapter I'm just going to do a quick catch up uh, we we finished last week in chapter three talking about Adam and the fall and Eve and the deception of the uh, of the enemy and uh, and the implications of the fall on our lives in chapter four we see the the first sons of Adam and Eve um, Eve says with the help of the Lord I have conceived a man uh, his name was Cain he was a he was a sower uh, of of, uh, of, the, of the of the soil he was a farmer and his brother Abel was was a was a uh, was a shepherd. Um, well, they in the course of time they brought uh, their, their, They brought a gift to the Lord. Well, uh, Abel brought his first fruits. He brought the best of his field and he brought the first of his field. I mean, of of his uh, of his flock to the Lord and offered it to him uh, as an expression of worship. And uh, and we see in the text that Cain kind of brought his leftovers. He kind of brought the rest. You know, some of. And, uh, and this was not pleasing to the Lord. Um, and so he, he'd rejected Cain's, uh, uh, uh sacrifice or offering and, and he found, uh, Abel's, uh, sacrifice pleasing. And, uh, and this cause came to be, the scripture says, very angry. And uh, and the way he took out that anger was he expressed it against his brother. God uh, gave him an opportunity to repent by telling him that sin was crouching at his door and uh, challenged him to master it or it'll master you. And uh, he chose to give in to his anger and, uh, and, and he killed his brother. And then we see the mercy of God. Jesus, I mean, God walks into uh, Cain's life and basically asks, where's Abel? and uh, And we you know we, we, we probably use this term even in in our culture today as a mantra you know am I my brother 's keeper? he basically says i don 't know you know and God says, "I mean what was the god 's heart in that moment was to give him an opportunity to repent. You know what the difference is between those that are followers of Christ and those who aren 't it 's just repentance because it 's not like one 's perfect and one 's not. <laughs> we know that to be true it's just we, we repent of our sins and we trust in a Savior that redeems us. That, uh, that, that chooses, if we confess our sins to a faithful and just God, he will uh, cleanse us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, um, Abel, Abel acted upon his anger. Uh, some of the things we see in Scripture related to this is that it, the, 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 the New Testament tells us you know, to be angry, but sin not. Uh, James says, uh, "...be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires." And one of the things that's so comforting to me is that uh, the psalmist tells us that God is slow to anger and abounding in love. And so uh, we see the implications of that. Abel, Abel ends up dying. Cain is cast out. Um, and then in chapter 5, we see that there's another son born to Adam uh, and Eve at the age of 30 by the name of Seth. This would be the line of Noah. Uh, and over the next several chapters, we we wander into this text about the flood. Uh, and before we get there, we see a lineage in chapter five of men like Enoch, who walked with God, Methuselah, whose name means until the judgment and literally lived 969 years to the to the year of the flood. Uh, Noah's dad, Lamech, who, by the way, Adam lived into Lamech's life. Uh, so Adam would have been a firsthand testimony to to uh, to Noah's father. Um, Noah then had three sons. Help me, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem would have been the one that the, that would have been the the forefather of Abraham. But we know before that takes place, there's a flood. And there's some interesting things that God says about one Ab- about Noah. He says that he's a righteous man, blameless among his generation, and that he walked with God, much like his great grandfather Enoch. But it says this in, in the first part of chapter 6. Man's thoughts were only evil all the time. This was the condition of humanity. Um, just so we get a, get a, a sense that, that our culture, uh, you know, that humanity had a history of being deprived. Uh, God was grieved that he had made man and his heart was filled with pain. Um, it says the earth was corrupt and filled with violence because of man. And God says, I am going to destroy man and the earth. Uh, verse 18 tells us that God established a covenant with Noah and because of that there were eight Individuals that um, that were on the ark Noah his three sons and their four wives and God began again with eight individuals on the earth So we're all descendants of Adam. Yes, but also descendants of Noah and um so, we see, uh, this, this transpires all the way through to chapter nine. Uh, I can't get in, I'd love to get into the details of that, but today we're focusing on, on Abraham. In chapter 11, we, uh, we see the Tower of Babel. Uh, man's desire was to make a name for themselves to reach into the heavens, and God thwarted that by confusing their languages and dispersing them. Um, and, uh, and then we see the lineage of Noah that, uh, that starts with Shem and leads to wh- who we refer to as Abraham, uh, in his contemporary context. Initially, his name was Abram. Abram. Um, so, uh, I want to start today with a couple of texts from Hebrews chapter 11, which we often refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And Abraham is there, and uh, and so we're going to pick it up in verse eight. Uh, it is listed as those that this cloud of witnesses, those historical faith figures that have trusted God emphatically with their lives and trusted Him enough to walk out His promises, to walk out His guidance, His word, His direction. Um, and we pick up Abraham in verse eight, and it says this: By faith. By faith, this is the theme in this passage, in this chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's a challenging endeavor. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, For he was looking forward to the city uh, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she, she considered him faithful, don't you love this? Since she considered God faithful, who had promised her a son. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, speaking of Abraham, were born the descendants as many as the stars in the heaven and as many as, as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Two elements that God used that were very relevant to uh, Abraham in his day to, to, to show him that his descendants would be innumerable um, and uh, used the stars and the dust to do that. Do you know that you are if you are in Christ, that you are a son of faith, a son of promise, that you are, uh, you are a byproduct of God's faithfulness, um, to Abraham, uh, and the promise that, promises that were made. We pick up the text again in verse 17 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, uh, through 19, and it says, by faith, uh, it's so important that we get this, that Abraham, in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, and Abraham believed God, and it, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Like that's the only way that we stand right before a righteous God is by faith. Faith has always been from, from, from Abraham's day to our day. It's still about faith. We have no righteousness of our own. They're filthy rags. The only way that we stand rightly before God is in Christ. And he is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now that's an int- that's a that's an interesting thing because Isaac was the son of promise he was his only son so it's you know how would he uh, how would he reckon as the scripture says that God's going to fulfill this promise if he has to sacrifice his son his only son uh, as the scripture refers to. So it says, when he, had, when he was tested, offered up to Isaac, and he who had received the promise was, the, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, I love this, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham was willing to obey God, not understanding the implications, not, under, not having to reason out at this stage in the game. And we'll talk about this. This is from Genesis chapter 22. He was able to just trust God enough to do what he asked him to do. And I love that when we get to chapter 22, which is in the latter stages of Abraham's life, when, when often when God speaks to him, he's got a lot of questions. He's, he's got questions that are littered with doubt. And yet, when it comes to this particular occasion, he says simply this, here I am. And then again, here I In other words, whatever you say, God, I've learned that you're faithful. You've proven yourself worthy of my complete allegiance and trust. So Hebrews explains that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed. And it describes three actions resulting from Abraham's faith. So here's three points for you. He moved to a new home. By faith. He became a father in his old age. By faith with a barren, with a barren woman declared at the age of 75 and, and Sarai was 65. And number three, he was willing to obey God's command to sacrifice his only son. We know God's provision was there. Abraham demonstrated his faith through his actions. His faith was made, it made him right with God. And we're going to see that. That it's, we, we can't, in our own effort, in our own good works, we can't achieve any element of approval with God. There's, there's no amount of effort on our part that can, that can justify us before a perfectly just and righteous God. And yet He makes provision for us in Jesus Christ where we can exchange our sin for His righteousness, our rags. Even the things that we, we would think are just wonderful in the context of our, our human perceptions, only the righteousness of Christ will do. Because in the Old Testament it says, obey the law and you will live. What's the problem though? We can't obey the law But Jesus came as the ultimate atonement for our sin, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate substitute, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, and he came and died for you, for me. He became the perfect Lamb of God so that we could stand because of his righteousness. He exchanges with us for our sin. Abraham, uh, some pieces that we see in this passage as we prepare to get into chapter 12 is that Abraham's father Terah had three sons Abraham Nahor and Haran according to a future text that we'll look at in a minute Terah uh, was also the father of Sarah because Abraham and Sarah were half brothers we got to understand in the original like in the context where Abraham grew up there was you know humanity was very small you think about like Noah and uh and his boys and their wives i mean initially they were marrying their their siblings and their nieces and their ne- and that was, that was also the case here because civilization was so small and, and let's remember that God did not put the command on not doing that until, uh, the nation of Israel was over two and a half million strong and moving out of Egypt into the Sinai towards the promised land. So Haran had two, uh, had a son named Lot and two daughters, Milcah and, uh, and, and Issachar. Uh, Milcah actually married her, her uncle. Um, uh, Abraham or Abram's brother, and so uh, we understand that. You know, one of the interesting things we see about the character of Abraham is Lot, his nephew, lost his father, and Abraham steps in and becomes that surrogate dad. We see we see this adoption, we see this this caring for others, and willing to take on the the mantle and responsibility for those that have lost parents. And Abraham's character shines there. Haran uh, died um which is uh, was Lot's dad and Abraham took responsibility. Abraham married his half sister Sarai, we see that later on uh, as he tries to protect himself. Sarah was barren, or Sarai was barren. Um, and uh and the the initial call we have to understand is that Abraham receives this call to go to a land that I will show you. He receives that in Ur and then makes his way up with his father, with Lot, with Sarai, he makes his way up to Haran, which they would have followed the Euphrates northeast, or northwest, excuse me, and then they settle there. They they stop. They don't continue to go as God has led them. Um, He took Abraham, Lot, and Sarah with him. Uh, He traveled along the Euphrates and settled in the land. So let's pick up the text in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Such an important part of uh, Abraham's uh, life here, in it's Genesis, so it starts off, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, everything you know, to a land that I will show you. Now what's that going to require? A lot of faith, a lot of trust in the Lord. I mean, he's saying, leave everything you know, leave everything that you have even, And go to a place that I will show you. And he promises this. And I will make you a great nation. Do we standing in 2016 have an understanding of the fruition of that? I mean, think about it. Every Jewish individual that's come from, I mean, we talk to people, we we talk of people being Jews. That's just one, that's one tribe. That's the tribe of Judah. Must less all the other tribes and then all those that have been grafted in as believers in Christ and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. God desires like if if we are if we are if we're endeavoring to make his name great, God God will God will actually, I mean think about it, we're thousands of years from Abraham's life and we're talking about Abraham today. Abraham, God made Abraham's name great, but here's the so that. Whenever you see so that in scripture pay attention because this is the why. This is the purpose so that you will be a blessing. And so that's what we understand, we see later in the text, is that we're blessed to be a, a blessing. Like God blesses us in abundance so that we might be an instrument of blessing in others' lives. The purpose of the Israelites or the, or the, or the Jewish nation or the, the tribe, uh, the, the nation that would come from Abraham was that they might be a light to the nations. That they may reach out and they might uh they might uh draw people into a relationship with a living god. Verse 3 continues and I will bless those who bless you and I and uh him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what that ultimately is realized in Jesus. Every nation on the planet exp- like, like what's the greatest blessing that you've experienced as a believer? It's Christ. That's the greatest gift that you will ever be given is Jesus Christ because he has solved the dilemma that we could never ever deal with. Man's humanity, uh, man's disease is sin and Jesus atoned for that sin and paid the ultimate price. And so that's the blessing that humanity has experienced. The Lord had told Abraham to leave his country, your people, your father's house and go to the land I will show you. This was uh, something he had heard in Ur of the Chaldeans. Faith in the Lord is a priceless commodity. When God asks you to leave your comfort zone, has he ever done that for you? Has he ever asked you, because he's good at this. He does this often. He encourages us to leave the things that we depend on and that we try to find our, our hope in. And he, and he, because he wants to wean us of those things to show himself faithful. Abraham was asked to leave home, family, not wife, and go somewhere that was yet to be revealed. Right? Not wife. That's important. Um, and was yet to be revealed. So my question is, what about you? What has God asked you to do by faith? What has God asked you to step away from or to step into? Because this this is the voice of God. God is always calling us away from our idols that that leave us empty and 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 longing and, and are so shallow and superficial and he's calling us to the substance that can only be found in him. This is a this is a glorious thing that God does in our lives, and what it requires for us to walk through in his direction um is we must trust him. We must have faith. Has the Lord been calling you out of a comfort zone? I asked you that today. Because I think some of us know that God has has beckoned us out of some things that we have found comfort in into a place where I see this in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus calls Peter and his counterparts, uh, uh, Andrew and James and John, to, to deep waters where they can't stand on their own. When the Lord asks something from us, he always has something much more in store for us. Don't we see that in Abraham's life? He's got something glorious planned for us, and he wants us to let go of the counterfeit so that we might experience his reality. Uh, A great nation. That's an interesting statement uh, given to a man that has a barren wife and no children. I mean, that's going to require some significant faith. He had no children, and his wife was known to be barren. And yet God says, I want to make you a great nation. That would require a ton of faith and confidence in the Lord's promise. The Lord is the only one who can bring about or bring something out of nothing, light out of darkness, life out of death or barrenness. This is, you know, uh, the, the statement that's made to Sarah is nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, after she laughed at the, at the, at the possibility. All Abram had uh, had to go on was God's promise to guide and bless him. And by faith, that was enough. That was enough because we see here um in verse four of chapter of chapter 12 it says this so abraham went i mean that's just three simple words that that but but makes a massive statement abraham went by faith abraham went as the lord had told him and lot went with him abraham was 75 years old uh, when he departed from haran and abraham's Took Sarah his wife, Lot his, his brother's son, and all the don't miss this and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Listen, it, the passage says here that they settled in Haran. Have you ever settled for something? Have you ever been aware of God's great calling? Those, uh, those moments where he, he wants us to move by faith. And we've kind of gone along and then settled. This is what Abraham did. He was called in Ur and he settled in Haran. This wasn't Canaan. This wasn't the destination. He settled there. And in the process there, he acquired some possessions and he acquired some some people. Now, most of us would say, oh, wow, he he was blessed. But... You know, it's interesting. Jesus says, uh, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, if Jesus is an example to us of what the the ideal life looks like, it, it didn't seem like he was running around acquiring stuff. That he lived a life of simplicity so that he was always ready to move according to God's whim or word. And so, one of the things that we see here, we're so, we're so quick to, from a worldly paradigm to go, oh, he got a bunch of stuff, that's a good thing. How do you think that works out when you're trying to take a caravan of people from Haran to Canaan? Do you think that just makes it a little bit more complicated? Do you think feeding all those animals and people in the midst of a, a track through the desert in part would have been challenging? And so, let's not be quick to assume that stuff is good. Because um, sometimes it's an encumbrance, sometimes it's a hindrance. God's God desires dependency, trust, faith in Him. God's plan from the beginning was to make Himself known to all people. Let's not lose sight of that. And and He was using Abraham, and and He was creating a catalyst of faith in Abraham for this purpose. Genesis twelve seven says this. Then in Canaan. The Lord appears to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Now he's only promised him to make him a great nation. Now we're talking offspring. Would that require a little bit more faith? Now he's talking offspring. That might not include Sarah, but it's offspring. So he built there an altar to the Lord um, who had appeared to him. So One of the things we see here is that Abraham goes into a moment of worship. Why do you build an altar? In that context, an altar was an expression of worship, and it was also a declaration that that God had done something worthy to be remembered. And so an altar was erected for that purpose. It's interesting. Um, We see the blessing here of God's... Like So often we, we think of blessings in the context of stuff. When you know the greatest blessing we experience in life is his presence, as we just sang about. He is the greatest gift. He, he is the great reward. And so often we want the we want the blessing, not the blesser. We want the, the blessing, not the benefactor, we want the, the gift, not the gift giver. But that's the gift is him. And so when he when he went, when he acted upon his faith. He was blessed with the presence of God. We see it in this in this verse. So why did he build an altar? To worship and remember. Do you build altars in your life? Points of of worship and remembrance? I think there's value in doing this. I really do. I think that there, because I don't know about you, but I'm prone to forget. I think this is one of the main reasons that Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Because we're so prone to wonder, we're so prone to forget, and we need to remember that that he gave his life and he suffered the the, 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 the pain and the struggle and the and the and the anxiety. I mean, it says in, in Isaiah fifty three that it was the Lord's purpose to crush him, so that for our sake, that we might be spared and saved, rescued and ransomed. This is God's will. Abraham Abraham never leaves with. I'm sorry. Abraham next leaves without direction from the Lord and goes to the Negev all by himself. So you'll see in this passage here, he um, he's 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 stationed. He's planted. He's 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 all tented up between Ai and Bethel, and all of a sudden, without any direction from the Lord, he heads down to the Negev, which is about halfway to Egypt, and then he experiences something famine. That's not unusual. When we step out of God's will, when we go in our own direction like the prodigal son, we, we, we often find famine in our life, whether it's financial or otherwise. And Abraham experiences famine. And rather than running back to the altar... Guys, do we do that? Because here's the thing, and don't miss this, is that when, when hardships come in your life, God has an intention for that. He wants you to run back to the altar... He wants you to run back to Him. He doesn't want you to run in the other direction. So often we're, we have this propensity to, to run away from Him in the midst of trials and suffering. And, and the purpose that we have those tests and those experiences is because God wants us to run back to Him. Well, Abraham ends up running to Egypt, which is in the opposite direction. And he gets there and... Uh, he, uh, he, he, says, he says something very complimentary to Sarah. He says, Sarah, um, you're a beautiful woman. Every, I imagine women or wives would enjoy hearing that from their husbands. But he goes on to say that because of your beauty, if we show up in, in, in Egypt, they're going to want to take you for, their, for themselves and they'll probably kill me to do it. So Abraham proposes a lie. You know, there's no such thing as half-truth. It's It's a lie. And he proposes a lie. It's his wife, and he goes goes into Egypt and tells the princess of Pharaoh that this is my sister. And so what that you know they go to Pharaoh and say, There's a beautiful woman that just walked into town. And Pharaoh's like, She's mine. And literally, literally marries her. So just imagine the scenario now. You're you've lied to Pharaoh, who in his own culture is considered God right you've lied to him he has blessed you with all kinds of stuff because he likes your sister and now he's married your wife you're in trouble i mean so what he did was he went from famine to to lying to a whole, you, you ever see that happen in your life you know i mean we should run back to the altar right he eventually does but let me tell you what god does god bails him out and like he often does with egypt he sends a plague and 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 Pharaoh's wise enough to know something's not going, something's not right, and 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 he finds out that, that Abraham's wife is Sarah, and he says, "How could you do this to me?" And what's interesting is is that Pharaoh gives him a whole bunch more stuff, and says, "Get out of here and pray for me, by the way. Open these wounds up so my, my you know our, our people don't die." And and Abraham does that, and God God bails him out. Ever been there? <laughs> Where you're kind of knee deep and running in the wrong direction like Jonah? And God bails you out. He's so faithful. And so fortunately, Abraham starts heading back in the right direction again. But in our, in, in our earthly mindset, we again think that all this stuff that Abraham's acquiring is a good thing. But let me tell you what happens. Abraham goes into... Uh, just shy of the Negev he's heading back towards the altar and guess what happens um, the land is not able to facilitate all the animals and livestock that him and Lot have now and so what happens is they have to Abraham suggests that we have to part ways and so Abra- Lot ends up looking at the fertile soils of the Jordan and heads down to Sodom and Gomorrah which doesn't work real well for him right and then Abraham goes back to his altar, we find out. But here's, here's, here's one of the things that I think is a conclusion to that. Again, acquiring more stuff causes relational conflict. It divides family. Man, I've seen way too many people lose loved ones, and in the midst of losing loved ones, everybody's fighting over the stuff. Why? Because that's what's precious to them, unfortunately. And we see here that Abraham and Lot have to part ways because the stuff they have cannot be uh, cannot be facilitated in the in the and the terrain that they're in. You know, my question is, why not get rid of the stuff and keep the relationship? Husbands, wives, right? And so that goes on, and then we see in chapter thirteen. Um, and first in verses three and four it says, And he journeyed on from the Negev, this is after leaving Egypt, and as far as Bethel to a place where his tent had been at the beginning, he went back to the altar. Between Bethel and Ai, just in case we don't get it, to the place where he had made an altar at, at the first, just in case we didn't get it. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Guys, man, when we're not calling on the Lord, when we're not abiding in Him, man, we can make some pretty poor decisions. And we can head in some pretty bad directions. And Abraham went back to where he had journeyed, where he had experienced the Lord and built an altar altar, and worshiped Him. In verses 14 through 18, this is that piece about Abraham and Lot. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see. Can you imagine? This is a promise given to Abraham. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. He reminds us of his promises. That's what he was doing. He was just reaffirming the promises that he had made to Abraham. Do do you notice that Abraham didn't have an encounter with the Lord during that Negev in Egypt experience? And now, as he comes back to, have you ever found this to be true? You, You humble yourself. You get back in front of the altar, so to speak, and God begins to remind you of the promises he's made to you. He refreshes you in that moment. He comes, he's the prodigal father that comes running down the road when you're still a long way off and he throws a coat on your back, a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, and he throws a party because you're coming home. Like this is the prodigal God that we serve, that in the moment that he returns, he, he reestablishes his promise to him. Do you think that was encouraging? Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if, if, now, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oak of Mamre, which, which are at Hebron. By the way, this is, where, this is why Abraham was, was considered a Hebrew, because he was from Hebron. Um, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Again, establishing worship. And again, what, what happened in this context? He was reminded of God's promise. God expanded or expounded on his promise. And, God, and Abraham built a, a memorial, an altar, in order to worship and be reminded of God's promise. In chapter 14, which we won't look at, Abraham rescues Lot uh, from uh, four kings that defeated five kings and took eight, took Lot. Abraham takes 318 of his fighting men that were within trained men, the ESV says, and he goes up and rescues Lot and brings him back home. This is also where he meets Melchizedek and gives his tenth, his tithe, uh, for just as an act of worship to the Lord. Now, chapter 15 is big, huge, because we see so much of, of what faith, uh, what God has done through faith in Abraham. So let's look at verses 1 through 6. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So we've seen the Lord speak to him in person. We've seen the Lord uh, remind him of truth. And now we see him coming to Abraham in a vision. And he says this, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Man, when God begins to speak to us through His Word and by His Spirit and through His people, man, these things become great. I mean, do you think that was of great value to Abraham or Abram at this point when he says, I am your shield? You know what, you know what God was saying to him there? You don't have to try to protect yourself by lying about your wife. I am your shield. I am your fortress. I am your rock. I am your reward. Uh, And your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, and here's where Abraham has these questions. And this is very comforting to us, isn't it? Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, which was a servant in his home. And Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my, my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is what the Lord said. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son. Now, this is, this, is, this is new information here. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said to him, Now, he'd already talked about the dust, but now he uses another illustration to reinforce his promise. He says, Look to the heavens, the number of the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall, be, so shall, shall your offspring be. And he, be, and don't you love this? This is, this is the testimony of the, of, of Abraham's life. Like this is his, this is the verse that, that kind of defines him. He says, and he believed God. He believed God that he would have more descendants than the star. You gotta know there was no light pollution in the middle of the desert with Abraham. I mean, he saw all the stars. And he believed God that he would have that many descendants. And we stand here today in 2016 going, wow. That's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. It cannot be counted. Uh, Romans chapter 4, so we understand this statement, and he believed God, and that alone credited him, or he counted to him as righteousness. Uh, Paul uh, unpacks this for us in Romans 4, 1 through 5. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In in other words, good deeds. Uh, For if Abraham was justified by works, Just being a good person and doing good deeds, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as, as, uh, are not counted as a gift, but as his due, right? You work for something, you get, you get compensation. But this is what it says, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Guys, this is, this is good news. This is good news that, that we are justified by faith and not by works. That it's not something that we can earn or do or, or work towards. It's something that we believe God for, and he gives us in Christ as we trust him for it. That's good news. As we continue in Genesis, verses 7 through 10, it says, And he said to him, this is God speaking again to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess, reminding him of his faithfulness, of God's faithfulness. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Another question, question of doubt. Guys, have you ever been there? Ever, and what does God want us to hear? God wants us to hear of his past faithfulness. I mean, it is important for us to recount, to remember the ways that God has been faithful. To, my mom and I have conversations all the time because they're going through a very, very, very difficult time. My mom had a stroke. My dad is battling cancer. And God is doing awesome things. Um, and the best thing he's ever done is he, he rescued my dad and saved my dad through this through this this experience. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. So, I mean, that that's the... That's such a great victory on behalf of the Lord. So um but in the midst of this, mom mom we'll call and have these conversations of struggle. And 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 this is exactly what the Lord wants us to do. Let, has God ever let us down? He's batten a thousand. He's never failed us once. So as we recount his faithfulness, what does that do? It motivates our faith. It stimulates greater faithfulness in us as we look upon God's faithful faithfulness. Verse eight continues, But he said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? Speaking of the land. He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Covenant was established in this age through sacrifice. So... What would happen is uh, if two parties were going to make a promise to one another, establish a covenant together. This is huge, guys. We're about to go into communion. This is a massive piece. And what, what happens is they would cut, the, the animals would die. They would cut them in half with the exception of the birds, and they would lay them out, okay? And both parties would walk through the animals, Uh, one, one way, one the other. And basically, they would say, if I don't, if I don't live up to my side of the bargain or the promise, then this, what happened to these animals will happen to me. And what is interesting in this account is, you know, he asks this question. He says, he said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? That's a, that's a big question. And you know Abraham ends up taking a nap here. Okay, you know who passes through these animals? God does. He lets darkness fall, and he the, the 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 consuming fire. You notice that God always shows up as fire, whether it be on Mount Sinai or leading the Israelites or when when the Spirit is dropped at Pentecost. I mean, like, and this 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 torch, this flame that represents God passes through the animals. And you know what God says in this moment? He says. If if I don't keep my side of the bargain, I'll die. If you don't keep your side of the bargain, I'll die. And guess what? God died for us. God covered our sin. God had told, and that's why He could say, "How do I know? Because I'll die for you. I will. I will be faithful not only to to my part. I will be faithful to your part." Guys, God is... And listen, we're not, we're not going to be in right relationship with God. We're never going to stand righteous before a righteous God, justified in His holy presence without a high priest, because we've been given the ultimate one. We're never going to have that privilege to be, to, be, to be void of all of our sin and shame. But if, if not, that God does it. And He promised to do it. Man, that's an awesome thing. Covenant is established through sacrifice. We see it in the garden, right? When they failed, they were, they were covered with shame and blame. And what happened? God took their fig leaves off. that didn't cover their sin anyway. And he killed an animal and covered them. You know? Sin can only be atoned for by the shedding of blood. And Jesus willingly shed, willingly shed his blood so that we might know grace, forgiveness, mercy, the kindness of the Lord. Verse 10 said, And he brought him all these, Abraham did, cut them in half, and laid them half against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. The Lord announced Abraham's announces Abraham's and his descendants' future. God makes covenant with Abraham in this moment. And then in chapter 16, we see that Sarah takes matters into her own hands. And at the age of, of 75, and, and and Abraham is 85, Sarah makes the suggestion, hey, listen, God hasn't come through here. Uh, it's been ten years, ten years, and we haven't seen a son, so why don't we try to do it our way? Why don't we, um, hey, listen, I've got a beautiful maidservant. Her name's Hagar. She's an Egyptian. You see, you know, I, I had an Egyptian husband. Why don't you have an Egyptian wife, right? Did you catch that? So like, so like, and, and so what happens is, is that he gives her, one of her maidservants, and he marries this Egyptian maidservant Hagar, and he has a child by her, by the name of Ishmael. And today we see, because Ishmael says he'll be a donkey of a man; he'll be at odds with everybody in his life. He'll be a great nation; twelve tribes will come from him, but he will be at odds with everybody. Do you know that he is the forefather of the Arabs? And and and, and even to this day, the two the two children of of Abraham, Ishmael. And Isaac are still fighting. And there was one decision that was being made. And here's the thing, guys, we have to understand that every decision we make today has massive implications tomorrow. Massive. And we don't we, we don't enter into these decisions lightly. And so the one of the things that we benefit from, when God leads us in his word by his spirit through his people, when God leads us, man, let's hunger and thirst for God's direction and let's let's walk in it. Because he has wisdom that we don't have. Hagar became pregnant and, 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 uh, and resented Sarah. And then Sarah ends up blaming Abraham. And then Sarah mistreats Hagar and she leaves. And Hagar has an experience with God that she now calls the God who sees. Ishmael is given his name by Hagar in this experience. And we move into chapter 17. There seems to be, and this is really interesting and we can't miss this, We It clearly says in chapter 16 that Abraham was 86 years old when they endeavored to to kind of fulfill God's promise in their own wisdom, in their own strength, in their own way. And then we go into chapter 17 and Abraham is 99 years old. 13 years has passed. Do you know what I believe that tells us? When we try to do things our way, when we try to take matters into our own hands when we when we decide that our way is better than God's way and we're unwilling to be patient and wait on the Lord there's going to be some seasons of waiting because we don't see there any there's no interaction between Abraham and the Lord for 13 years after that and this is the time that that Ishmael grows up and uh, and God comes back to them in chapter 17 verses 1 through 12 and says when abraham was 99 years old the lord appeared to abraham and said to him i am god almighty el shaddai walk with me and be blameless do you know what he you know what he says there that's a rebuke he is he is rebuking abraham he says walk with me and be blameless he is correcting him on what he is he has done with uh with Sarai that I may make make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. He's reminding him of his faithfulness and his promises. Then Abraham fell on his face. Good response. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Again, reaffirming what he had promised. I mean, this had to be super encouraging to Abraham after 13 years. No longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of many. And I have made you the father of a multitude of... Isn't it interesting that, Jesus, that God speaks in the, in the current about the future as if it's already done? You know why? Because it is. You know, like we think of time as linear, like, like from A to B. You, you, if, if I was able to turn that right now, that's how God sees time as a point. He sees all time at all time. And so that's how he speaks. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Part of that is the seeds that's already in Adam, and one of those seeds is Jesus. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Man, look at the redemption! Look at look at look at look at our God here! How how he's he's so redemptive! He's so forgiving! He's so merciful! He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into a nation and kings shall come from you. You know what? The king of kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you uh, and your offspring after you throughout your, their generations and for an everlasting covenant that has no end to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning. Canaan all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their god and I will be their god that's not a statement of the, you know their their choice that's a statement of his commitment I will be their god and God said to Abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant uh, my covenant, you and your offsprings after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant. Listen to what he says, which you shall keep between me and you and from your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Abraham's ninety-nine I want you to and he's got he's got a ton of people in his household and many of them male, you shall be circumcised in the flesh um, of your foreskins, your and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. And you know that the next thing says, and Abraham went and did it. You know, He just went and did it. I mean, after 13 years of silence, man, whatever God said, he's, he's, he's in. He's after it. And in verses 15 to 19, he says, And God said to Abraham, as, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall become, she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? That makes Sarah 90. Shall, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, And some of your translations might say yes, and some say no, because God is saying, Yes, I'll bless him, but no, he's not the son of promise. But Sarah, with your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call, and Sarah, your wife, I mean, he's kind of clarifying you know, not your servant, not anybody else, um, shall bear your son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Abraham circumcised everyone. God announced the birth of Isaac and Sarah laughs. Abraham pleads for Sodom uh, because of Lot. We see all of this transpiring in chapter eighteen, chapter nineteen. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet spares Abra- I mean Lot and his two daughters. Right? And and because of incest with his two daughters in a mountain cave, we have two nations that come from that, Moab and the Amorites. Uh, both are the nations that come out of that experience. Chapter 20 Abraham repeats his sin with, Kim, with King Abimelech. He lies about his wife again in order to protect himself from the same scenario. And God, before that, promised to be a shield. Guys, do we do it too? Do we forget God's faithfulness? Do we forget God's provision? And we choose to try to protect ourselves, whether it's finding security in money or otherwise? He moved without God's direction and lied about Sarah again. The Lord visited Sarah as, he, said, as he, he had said. This is chapter 21. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. He did exactly what he said when he said he would do it. That's, that's our faithful God. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was on the, I bet you he did that. Just like, as it says, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Now this was not laughter of doubt, this was laughter of worship and celebration. Everyone who hears me laugh over me. uh, Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There was conflict with Ishmael. We see this once he is born, and he sends away Ishmael, and, and Isaac is on his way to being this great nation God is faithful to his promise and a son is born to a 90 year old woman just as God said he would we're going to pick this up and finish this off in just a minute as we prepare for communion but before that let's have some time of worship as the worship team comes let us prepare our our hearts to worship the God who's faithful that is faithful to his word he's faithful to his promises he's faithful to restore us when we when we choose to do it our own way And to reconcile us, God is good.